Church, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer uh, during the season of Lent as we head towards Easter in anticipation of the celebration of uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And last week we looked at the beginning uh, of the Lord's Prayer, our Father being a loving Father in heaven uh, and praising His name and His kingdom come, His kingdom coming in our hearts and our lives where He rules and reigns. Today we're going to be looking at uh, the instruction to call on Him for daily bread. And so we're going to look at a text from Matthew 6, the familiar passage where the Lord's Prayer is found. And then we're going to look at a supporting scripture from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 13. So let's go to God's Word now as we uh, prepare to be encouraged by it. Matthew chapter, starting in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And now from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. And indeed you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. This is God's word. Now we all know the coffee trope about, you know, orienting for the day. And it's like, don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. I've already had two espressos today. I don't know if you can tell. But I mean, we all know that. It's like, don't talk to me until I've done this. The Lord's Prayer, when we get to the point where we are actually asking God for something, it is, we see that praise is primary, like we talked about last week. It's as, it's as if Jesus in his instruction is saying, uh, before you go out the business of asking for anything, you need, you need this rejuvenating, reorienting experience, the divine espresso, that is worship and praise and meditation and thinking on God's, on God's greatness. And you'll notice that the, the, the instruction for asking for daily bread is in the middle. Um, and it's, it's preceded by this, this call to praise. And so worship is, of course, the centering. We talked about this last week. Whether it's prayer, whether it's the proclamation and the reading of the word, meditation on scripture, the act of singing, it's all about centering. We're looking forward to the day when we can uh, sing together, corporately all together in this room, and that's going to just add to our centering. But the fact that at, at the moment for the last year we've not been singing corporately, that hasn't erased worship because worship is about centering. Singing is the one of the ways that we can do that. But so when we look at this text here in Philippians, it sort of supports this, this call to uh, bringing our requests to God and asking God for our needs. We see there's this huge result that takes place in the life of the apostle, and it's peace in all circumstances. 
It's this divine, otherworldly, powerful experience of being reordered by the goodness of God. And uh, it's just incredible. When, when our kids were really little, they would ask for things that they didn't need. For example, when they were really tired late at night, they would go, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. They would be crying, I'm hungry. But we knew as parents that good parenting is not just giving the child what the child asks for. It is discerning the cries. It is discerning the needs. It is separating what the child is asking for from what the child actually needs. So when late at night the kids would cry, I'm hungry, we didn't give them food. We put them to bed because we knew that what they needed was that their little bodies were tired. When Nigel was really little, and I asked permission to share this story before I you know, say it. When Nigel was really little, he would say when he was feeling sick, particularly nauseous, he would say, my legs hurt. My legs. Now you can use your imagination as to how we discovered that saying his legs hurt actually meant he was nauseous. Because the first time was like, your legs hurt? What do you mean you're, oh, that's what you mean. We discovered there was not a correlation between what he was asking for and what he needed. In his little toddler-like articulation, he couldn't articulate what he actually needed. And we, cosmically speaking, in comparison to our great and sovereign and wonderful loving Father, we are, we are toddlers. And we come to him and we are invited to boldly come and, and ask him for the things that we need. But as you know, if you've, ever, uh, if you've ever tried to reason with a toddler, if you've ever denied a toddler their request, because in your parental wisdom, what they're asking for is not what they need, that little child cannot in their mind con- begin to conceive that not getting what they asked for could possibly be good. Because in their, in their, uh, from their point of view, uh, you know, whatever it is, whatever reason or wisdom is undergirding your will, it just is eclipsed by their commitment you know, to their own will. And so when we look at this call to go, in God's word to come and to ask for daily bread, when we look at this text in Philippians and what the apostle is saying about not being anxious and coming to God and bringing our petitions uh, to him, we see that there is this huge um, uh, result that he experiences his own, in his own life of peace and power, uh, you know, the ability to go through any circumstances. And even as I'm saying that, that hits some of your ears like huge disappointment. It's like, um, you know, that sounds nice, but I'm not really interested in those cosmic things like peace and, you know, the ability to... Uh, per- you know, persevere through circumstances. What I really want is this thing right here. I need this circumstance to change. My legs hurt. Quite often, that's the way I've approached prayer, sort of in that kind of context. And I've realized we really need to rethink what we think prayer is for because the context of all of this instruction is prison. The apostle is in prison as he is writing this, as he is teaching the church. He's saying, guys, I found the secret. And we're like... I'm not that interested in the secret of contentment in all circumstances. I'm pretty sure what I need is the circumstance to actually be changed. And so what we're going to look at for the next few minutes is that the scriptures instruct us to uh, present our needs to God daily because we're dependent, uh, humbly because God is wise, and confidently because we are loved. So firstly, uh, um, asking daily because we're dependent. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. It's not weekly bread or monthly or intermittently. It's this picture of manna, really. When you look at the Old Testament, 
And during the Exodus, they couldn't store up the manna. God, let's just have some extra for tomorrow. It only lasted that day. It was like this divine picture of constant dependence on God. And of course, his incredible, miraculous provision for his children each and every day. And this is what we're invited into this same sort of picture. When we come to the Lord's table, we come with open hands. Our hands are open and empty, like this. And we receive in these open and empty hands. It's a beautiful picture. And it is intentional that we just come to God like little children who are dependent, totally uh, dependent. We've come to this Father who is wise and loving. He's inclined to give us what we need. And sometimes what we need is actually in the form of the way that we asked for it. And those are beautiful moments when the prayer that we asked for and the answer, you know, they, they match up. But we can rest assured that when, the, when, when we don't get the thing that we asked for in the manner we asked for it, that our God is wise and good and loving. So we come to him as these dependent children. Augustine was a theologian in the 4th century, and he would say that this picture of daily bread, it's a metaphor for necessities, not luxuries. And I remember the first time I read that, I thought to myself, well, I don't pray and ask God for luxuries. That's ridiculous. All I ask for is that every time there's a problem in my life, he removes it. And whenever I'm sick, I'm healed. Whenever there's a relationship that seems to be broken, it manifests into peace. I mean, I don't ask for luxuries. I'm simply asking for a life of constant comfort. Is that too much to ask? It's luxury. Let's think in, in great honesty of the kinds of ways that we approach what it is to be human and what it is that we need and how it is that we go to the Lord. It's like we're like toddlers and we immediately are like, oh, we know what the answer is, remove this. And we're not really relating to God like a heavenly father when we get in those modes. We're relating you know, more like a cosmic butler. Where we're like, I'm uncomfortable, Jeeves, can you adjust the temperature? And yes, thank you. And just keep my life comfortable. And so... We've, we are, though, uh, despite all of, of our frailty in, in, in coming to the Lord in prayer in sort of ill-advised ways, asking amiss like cosmic toddlers, we are invited to come, and we are invited to ask, uh, because when we do ask God uh, for our daily needs, we're not bidding farewell to His majesty, we're not bidding well to his, farewell to His sovereignty or eternal reality. In fact, we're mindful of all those things. In fact, it's because we have worshipped him for his sovereignty and his majesty and the eternal reality of the hope of the gospel that that's the reorienting effect in our hearts that then prepares us to ask. Verse 6 of Philippians, it says, Don't be anxious about anything. In prayer, come to God with everything. And so there's no need for us to come to God anxiously telling him what has to happen uh, because the best thing in Jesus Christ has already happened. In John 6, Jesus said, in verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will neither hunger nor thirst. And it's a powerful reminder that what we need most has already been given. That ultimately, uh, our greatest need has already been met. And it's from that profound orientation that we can ask for what it is that we need daily and in the moment. And often the root of our worry or our anxiety is that we don't have control and we want control. Uh, we don't have what we think we need, and we are perhaps worried that God is going to give us what we need in the way that we want it or the way that we you know, perceive it to be. When you think about this last 10 months of the pandemic, the, one of the greatest challenges for us as a community, greater community of Kitchener-Waterloo and even globally has been like, who is in control? Who are making the decisions? And are those who are making the decisions aware of what is best? And are they aware of my situation and how this is impacting me or us? And are they wise and are they competent? These are, these are good questions 
that have been asked uh, over the last year. And we are, you know, very, you know, right to ask these sorts of questions. But when we ask those same sorts of questions against God and His nature and what it is that He's doing, you know, again, He's not asleep at the switch. It's not like He hasn't been paying attention His last 12 months. He's quite aware, well aware, not only that, as a loving and wise and gracious Father, giving us, His children, everything that we need in the midst of all these difficult days. God knows what our needs are. God knows what your needs are. He will provide for your needs, and that's a fact. That's a, that's a promise. Some of you have little children, and if, if you've ever had uh, your kids jump in your bed in a storm, in the midst of the thunder cracking, you know, you know what that's like. Some of you who don't have kids, you remember maybe you did that. Or maybe nieces and nephews have done that to you. Or maybe you did that and you jumped in your big brother, your big sister's bed. Or maybe you were babysitting somebody and a storm broke out and that little kid came jumping into your lap. When a child is in a storm and a child comes rushing to you in the midst of a storm, the first thing that we all instinctively say is, don't worry, it's okay, I'm here, I'm with you. In other words, we, we instinctively comfort the child with the promise of our presence. None of us have ever said to a toddler, it's okay, it, you're going to be fine. What's going on is that there is this electrostatic discharge that is happening between two regions that are at the moment are being equalized and there is like a, a gigajoule of energy that's being released in the stratosphere. It's going to be okay. Nobody's ever said that to a child because the details of what's going on is not going to bring comfort to the child. It's always the knowledge of the presence of the one who comforts and cares. And so this is the context through which we are invited to give our petitions. Right? From the point of the child, they have lots to worry about. From your point, they have, you have, absolutely, they have nothing to worry about. You know, John 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. Jesus Christ has been through the ultimate storm. There is no storm you and I are ever going to face is somehow intimidating to our God. He's not going to drop you, lose you, forget about you. He will care for you. So therefore, from, from the wonderment of that care and love, that the greatest thing has already happened, we're invited to, to uh, come to him and pray and ask for our needs. Philippians 4 and verse 12, you see here that he says, I've learned the secret. I have this profoundly grounding truth that while it is you know, utterly spiritual, it has powerful manifestation that's very physical, that matters day to day in my specific situation here in this prison, under, you know, the circumstances. United to Christ, Paul is not held hostage by the circumstances. He is content in everything. He is unmoved and he is intimidated by anything. And he's writing this in prison. And uh, he's not even sure he's leaving prison. He's not even sure he might, he might die in prison. But his tone is, when you read the whole book of Philippians, his tone is, I'm good. <laughs> what is happening? Is he detached from reality? Is that the secret? We detach from reality. Uh, do, do we distance ourselves from reality? Do we distract ourselves from reality? No. We can look reality dead in the face through the lens of this gospel, knowing that the God who loves us will deliver us and he's so good that even if he doesn't deliver us, 
and we die, he'll raise us. This has gone so deeply into the apostle's psyche that he, his soul is bulletproof. He's like, nothing can faze me. And he is, in, he is utterly dependent, like this child. So let's move on to the second thing. But we can ask humbly, not only because we're dependent like children, and we're invited to do so, but because God is wise. He's transcendent, of course, over all things, but he is eminently with us in everything. It's God's sovereignty is not cold fatalism and determinism. It's fatherly engagement. And so when you look at verses 6 and 7, the text says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts, it will guard your minds, through Christ Jesus. In His fatherly wisdom, your Heavenly Father will give you what you need in prayer. Full stop. And so you can have tremendous confidence. You can ask very humbly because God is wise. You can even know that if the, if the answer to your prayer doesn't manifest in the way that you ask, that he is good. Again, appealing to many of the parents of young children here. If you haven't yet had the unfortunate experience of having to pull a sliver out of your child's finger, the day that that comes, you may want to just forewarn your neighbors so that they don't call child services. Um, just say, hey, I've got to pull a sliver out in about 10 minutes. Please do not call the police. Nobody's being murdered in the home. Okay? Because if uh, parents who've done this, and if you're not a parent, if you've just done it to, to a little kid, you know, babysitting or otherwise, if you've pulled a sliver out of a child's finger, they're just screaming bloody murder. In fact, the whole time you're pulling it out, they're yelling, no, no, no. Right? If you, they're, they're yelling things like, leave it in! Leave it there! You're like, i got to remove this thing. They're like, you're killing me! But God in his great wisdom, he can do things, he does things. <laughs> From our point of view, you're killing us. What are you doing? From our point of view, we should have heard about the coronavirus and you should have zapped it from the face of the earth five minutes later. What are you doing? He's wise. He's good. He's, hum- he- he's got you. He's pulling slivers. Out of the souls of humanity. Do you know how many people are coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ during the global pandemic? I mean, I don't know, but I'm just putting it out there. Do you know? It's more than you would save. It's more than I would save. God in his tremendous patience has used every crisis in all of human history to to draw the attention of frail and fragile humanity to look off of the dust of our own bodies to the stars, to the cosmos, to wonder about life after death. And he's been drawing people to his saving grace and just tremendous mercy. He's always been doing this. He's always done it. He is good. He answers prayer, period, full stop. And he does it in ways that perhaps we don't expect or understand. Verse 8 goes on to give some really practical instructions on how we're to fill our minds. Verse 8 says, look, whatever is true or noble or right or pure or lovely or admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. What does that mean? Is the apostle mid-letter just suddenly saying, hey guys, you know what, if, if nothing else works, just find a happy place, okay? Think about puppies, unicorns, and rainbows, just whatever you got to do. Is that, what, is that what this is? Just a list of find a happy place stuff? My friends, when you look at these things, we, we realize that our hearts and our minds are reoriented through meditation, not only on God's saving grace, but this is a long list of things that are a result of God's renewing grace. 
in, through the lives of his children. These are things that you can look out in the world and see beauty and justice and mercy and love and generosity in people who do not have saving faith in Jesus Christ just because of God's common grace, his mercy on planet earth. That there, you can look and say, this is a glimpse, this is a taste of what is coming eternally, of what will be realized eternally. That because of Jesus Christ and because his death and his resurrection are real and true, time is not the enemy, slowly stripping everything away, but now is God's ally. We are moving towards a trajectory of renewal. And the Apostle Paul is saying, look, let's think about some practical things here. Meditate on God's goodness for you, in you, through you, in the earth, what he is doing, where humanity is headed. In other words, Christian faith is like, think deeply about where this is all going. Don't live in a radical dislocation. Right? If, you're, if you are here or watching via uh, Zoom and you are contemplating and considering Christian faith, I'm going to invite you to just contemplate the opposite for a second. If there is no God and Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead and we came from nowhere and in the end we're, we, we end up in a state of nothingness for no reason, we're in this radical dislocation right now. Just going, we know, we know the truth is everything ends in nothingness, but we're going to live today like just with tremendous sense of meaning and purpose and justice, and we're going to do all these things. And I, hey, I think that's a wonderful way to live if you don't believe in, in Jesus Christ. I think that's great. I, I, I don't think that Christians have the, the, the corner on you know, being mor- moral, caring people. What I'm saying is that's a radical dislocation from reality. The rea- if, there, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then what you're telling me is, the reality is, we started in nothingness, we end in nothingness, and right now, let's just pretend that's not true. And what I am saying, and what the scriptures are saying, is that because the resurrection of Jesus is true, we, we actually find joy not in radical dislocation, but in staring the problems of humanity in the face with a tremendous sense of joy, because our God, through Jesus Christ, will restore all things. And so I'll close with this. The final thing is that we ask confidently because we are loved. You know, God being this good parent that can distinguish the cries from the child, from their needs, and he is a father that loves us. You know, praying and asking God for what you need on Monday is not like a divine lottery. You're not like, you know, God's not like, I'm thinking of a number between one and a billion. Go ahead, pray. I mean, ask. But if, the, if what you ask isn't the number that's in my head, try again. Nope, that was wrong. Try again. No, I'm still not answering your prayer. Try again. Try. What a horrifying picture of prayer. If this is like we've got to somehow decipher his will and say the thing God is thinking so that it manifests in our life. Absolutely not. What we do is in our childlike toddler way, we cry out to God in guttural honesty and we say, my legs hurt. And God goes, gotcha. I understand. And then God gives us a bucket. He's like, I, under, I know you're crying out. I'm going to give you exactly, precisely what you need to borrow from <coughs> Dr. Tim Keller. It's like God gives us in prayer what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. This is the loving and caring father who, who, who loves us and cares for us. In Hebrews 5, the text says that Jesus was crying out to his father with tears in the garden. He's crying out. Let this cup pass from me. And the text says, in Hebrews 5, it says, Jesus was heard for his reverent submission. Jesus was heard? You know how that story ended, right? After the garden? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you, son. I love you and I hear you. And then it goes to the... See, if you think God is a cosmic genie, 
then you think Jesus' prayers in the garden weren't heard. But they were heard because God raised him from death itself. That's how good he is. 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul prays three times. Oh God, take this thorn out of my side. Take this thorn away from me, this metaphorical thorn. Take it away. Take this thing out of my life. Three times he asks. Jesus appears to Paul. And he says, nope. Just kidding. That was a terrible paraphrase. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in weakness. Was the prayer answered? Yes. Was it answered in the manner that he asked? It was actually the the total opposite. The Apostle Paul says, will you do this? Jesus says, I'm actually going to do that. But it's good. And Paul says, I found the secret, this tremendous bulletproof soul that he's enjoying in the goodness and the grace of God. And here in Philippians 4, 12 to 13, he says, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether I'm well-fed or I'm hungry, I'm living in plenty or in want. I can do all things, all circumstances, through Christ who gives me strength. Because God has already done everything. Because the highest and best in Jesus Christ is already done. Because his atoning death on the cross and paid the price for all of your sin and my sin and his divine resurrection means as he was raised, we will be raised. It means that in his fatherly love toward you, his answer is perfect. His love towards you is perfect. And so you and I can ask him for bread daily because we're dependent. We can ask for our needs humbly because he is wise. And we can ask confidently because we know that we are loved. Let's pray.